0: sense for the year that is ahead. And so last year we last year, it was last year was it? it was. Yeah. And I promised I promised I wouldn't do that joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, that just came out. Last week, sorry,
1: we took an encouragement from,
0: from Nehemiah and this morning went into term with me to John chapter 7. And um, a very simple but profound profound truth from the Ministry of Christ. Um, <coughs> As you're turning there, let me. Um, um, I'm going to. We want, I want to pick up about verse ten. But what has happened is uh, this is part of the ministry of Christ, where Jesus has been at the beginning of the chapter. Jesus has been in a sense, um, it's quite frankly sarcastically uh, goaded by his unbelieving. Brethren, family who didn't who didn't believe in him at this stage. It wasn't until after the resurrection that the that the brothers of and the sisters of Christ actually believed. The half brothers and half sisters of Christ believed in his claims to deity, believed in his claims to messiahship. But at this stage, they're basically in unbelief. And they, are, if you read chapter chapter seven, they're talking about the fact they are goading him to actually go to Jerusalem. It's the time of the feast of tabernacles, and they're basically saying, Hey, look, if you if you if you really are who you say you are why don't you go down there and preach it before the most important people in the land the most per- important people in our nation and of course um he says to them well you know it's it's not my not my time it's not my hour and he sends them off but as soon as they're gone what does he do he goes down to the feast um that's all setting up setting up the scene for our 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 passage this morning. Um, But the Feast of Tabernacles, it's that feast where the children of Israel gather together. It's one of the three major feasts where they gather together in Jerusalem and the population of Jerusalem swells from a couple of hundred thousand to, you know, some scholars will say in excess of two million people. So it is a busy, busy time as they're remembering God's provision for God's people through uh, the wilderness wanderings as God led them. Remember the story out of Egypt towards the promised land from Egypt to Sinai where they received the commands of God and they built the tabernacle and they made their way towards a place called Kadesh Benir, where they would enter over into the promised land and of course we know the story, it would take them 40 years to do that and so the Feast of Tabernacles is remembering God's faithfulness to them and keeping them through those wanderings until they crossed over so um, that's where Jesus is going so it says in verse 10, read it with me if you will But when his brethren were gone up, they went, that is up to Jerusalem for the feast, they went, he then went he up also unto the feast, not openly, but as it was in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much murmuring amongst the people concerning him. And some said he is a good man, others said no, but he deceives the people. Howbeit, interesting this verse 13, no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, the last time that Jesus had been down in Judea, now it's over a year ago. Um, in the gospels he left because the religious leaders had become so enraged towards the things that not only what he's saying the things that he was doing I mean you will remember that he had done he he had offended them by healing a crippled man on the on the on the um, on the sabbath day and prior to that and earlier in John of course he was he was offended at uh, the religious religious um, abuse within the temple and how um, the uh, money changers and, and those that were making merchandise out of the people of God take advantage of, God, of people's faith and of course he cleansed the temple for the first time earlier in John's Gospel and uh, so he has been in the area of Galilee, it's what we call the Galilean ministry for the last 12 months or so and so no doubt the story of him doing things such as turning water into wine, the claims that he was making over and over again, the many, the many events that were taking place. No, no, no wonder or no doubt, I should say, that the story of Jesus has made its way to the streets of Jerusalem. And now the crowds are swelling for this feast day. And one thing is on everybody's mind. Can you imagine it? One thing is on everybody's mind, and that is, will he show up? Will this Jesus show up? And when it says no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews, everybody was speaking amongst themselves, it seems, as you read the Gospels. But no one was willing, or generally the, the public were not willing to publicly acknowledge him. That's the idea. No one was willing to go on record as a Jesus supporter. Isn't that a strange thought? Well, maybe not. Yeah. But nobody was willing to go on public record as a Jesus supporter. You see, by now, the Jews had placed, and you read about it in John chapter 9, the Jews had placed a sanction on the confession of Christ as Messiah. In fact, they were threatening to excommunicate anybody that actually testified of Christ and his claims. And that, is a, that, was, a, that was a powerful thing in that culture. You know, a person would... would uh, if they would not amend their thinking about Christ, would be anathematized is a word that we say or use, meaning they would be considered cursed of God. That is that they would be completely cut off from the whole body of the Jewish people and Jewish life. Their entire life would be taken away from them if they believed in Christ. Isn't that a strange thought? You know that thought terrified people back then. You know And so as you can imagine, there was this great tension concerning Jesus. You had to be careful. Can you put yourself there? You had to be careful who you spoke to and what you spoke to about him. And that tension was elevating as people's hearts and hopes. This is the, this is the tension that was there. This is, it's, a, it's quite an interesting thing. They had to be really careful, let me say it again, of what you said and who you said it to. At the same time, that tension was there because there was this elevation of hope within the hearts of the people because the things that they are hearing about him coming from the north, from the area of Galilee, because they're now down south in Judea, the things that they're hearing about him are beginning to spark their hearts and they're beginning to think well maybe could be could he be the one could he really be the messiah and so there's this incredible the only word I've got is tension taking place so that's the atmosphere I want to want us to to approach this passage with if you don't mind this morning and it says in verse 14 It says now about the midst of the feast. So they're in Jerusalem. The feast has been going for a few days. Remember, it's a week-long feast this is. In the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and it says he taught. And the Jews marveled. This is amazing. The Jews marveled saying, how knoweth this man letters? In other words, how does he know these things? Having never learned them, it says. Now, we don't know what Jesus was teaching. It's one of those passages where I just wish, don't you, it was written down because of the reaction it got. We don't know what he was teaching, but what he was doing, he was gripping the hearts... And challenging their lives concerning their relationship with God and the scriptures and what we need to see here is that in that momentarily sorry let me say it again what we need to see is that it momentarily bypassed the prejudices that they already had against him. So here is the scene. they are they're listening and the things that they are hearing are undeniably true but wait a minute. Wait a minute. what he's saying is true, but this guy has no credentials. What they are saying is undeniably true. but wait a minute, this guy hasn't studied in the approved rabbinic rabbinical schools that we all come from, and they've got to shake themselves. Here's the amazing thing. They have to shake themselves out of believing the truth that they are hearing, because their prejudice won't allow it to get a hold of their hearts. That's what's going on here. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's tragic because in the heart of such a preconceived person or preconceived ideas about Christ, the words of everlasting life that he is speaking become to that person nothing more than worthless private opinion. That's what their prejudice has done. Even though their hearts are being pricked, even though they're being challenged by it, I'm sure you've come across these people I'm, I'm sure you have you, you share the truth of Christ you know you talk about life and death these are, these are pertinent issues that every single human being has to face you speak about the undeniable reality that mankind is corrupt right that he is sinful that our hearts are sinful and you tell them that God loves them and you tell them that God has done everything for them, everything possible, that they might be saved, that they might be delivered, that they might know freedom and liberation from the things that hold them slaves. You will die, you are a sinner, but God has made a way for you. But because of their prejudice that's been installed within them, you know, there's the universities of... the universities of. Um, of uh, of evolution and the humanism that, that 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 proliferates through society today, you know, well maybe maybe they were. I don't know, maybe they were Freudians and they've heard Freud talk about religion and, and things like that where he just saw that religion was nothing more than wishful thoughts projected on, from the human heart of people, you know. Or maybe it was just the school of their parents, the school of their dad that said things like, you can't believe, that's a load of rot. Maybe a dad like my dad who simply said, hey, when you're dead, you're dead and that's all there is to it, you know. And so the words, this is the thing, so the words of everlasting life, while they may impress a person's thinking, uh, impress a person, um, uh, they hold no weight because they've been preconditioned by somebody else's thoughts. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. They've been preconditioned by somebody else's decision. There's a song in the late 60s. I think it was the animals that sang it. Never quote, I was told these things. But the words go simply, it ain't necessarily so. The things that you read in the Bible, they ain't necessarily so. Who wrote that? Did he? Okay. I know nothing, Jim. But that's what's happening with these Jewish leaders, you know. Yes, they're impressed, but their bias won't let them let it in. And what Jesus does with that is what I want us to get a hold of. So it says in verse 16, he answers them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but it is of him that has sent me. So the first thing that Jesus says, he says, The truth that he's giving has divine origin. It's God's truth. That's the first thing Jesus says. Which is important to these people that he's talking to because everybody, everything that they believe are the thoughts of other men. That was the Jewish way. They would listen to the notable rabbis and the rabbis would say, that's what Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, you have heard it said. And so nothing is original. It's other people's thoughts. They've been, they've, been, they've been moved by other people's thoughts. And again, that is so true of so many people today. Their understanding of God is coming from somebody else. Somebody else, you know, as I said, from the education system, from parental indoctrination or something. I mean, I did a funeral just two days ago. Beautiful family, lovely family, some of the, some of the nicest people I know. Um, but over the years I've known them, the same, same statement has been said to me over and over again. The man that I was bearing, his mantra, if you will, of life was simply this. Religion is for people that need it, but we don't need it. And that's what his family was raised on, you know. You know, a lot of young people develop their, also de- develop their, their theology or theory of God based upon statements of pop culture, isn't that right? You know, what everybody is doing, what everybody is believing. They, they base it upon, crazily upon the lyrics of songs and movies they watch and personalities that are lifted up high above everybody else or current trends and so on. And everybody has an opinion of God based upon what other people say. I think that's amazing. In fact, I think that is ridiculously amazing is what it is, you know. Because when you stop and you think about that, on just about every other issue that relates to life, what do we do as a species? Can I use that word? What do we do as a culture? Let me use that word. We stubbornly say, and all the young people will do it, I did it when I was younger, we stubbornly say, no one tells me what to think. I'll find out for myself. So I search, I read, I find out for myself. And quite rightly so. That is the honourable way, isn't it? That's the honourable way. But when it comes to the most important issue of all, the one that is going to determine a person's eternal destiny, I'm going to settle for something something that somebody else said? You know, I like what that guy says about that. you You know? I like what that person thinks about spiritual things. And we settle for a second hand knowledge of who God is. So the very first thing that Jesus says is my words are God's words. This is not anybody else's thought. This is from the throne. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. Hang on a minute, Chris. It's all right for Jesus to say that, you know. Because if I I go out there and I say that to my unsaved loved ones or people that I know, you need to believe me when I'm telling you because this is what God says. You know? And that would be a true statement. But what is the response that you get? The response is straightforward, isn't it? All you guys say that. All you religious types say that. And what will they do? They'll cite some crackpot that thought he was Jesus Christ or some other crackpot who thought something else about themselves. And they say, Well, they those people said it themselves. All you religious types say that, which is sadly true. Sadly true. And we so often come away from that engagement with our unsaved friends and our family, thinking, well, they're right. They're right, all the nut jobs do say that, you know. And it seems impossible to get past, you know what that is? That's a relative defence that people have against the gospel. And it seems impossible to get past that relative defence that they put up. You know, something else that we do, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Something else that we do is we have a habit of as believers, and I'm just thinking about the year ahead. You know, we have a habit as believers, you know, it's throwing scripture at people like bombs. You know, you know, we'll just throw this. We'll just launch it out there like a grenade. You know, and we'll quote Isaiah fifty-five. You know, verse eleven, when it talks about His word, and it says, "It shall not return to Him void, but it shall accomplish that which He has pleased it, and it will prosper according to what I have sent it for." God says, "You know, absolutely true." But we've got to remember that that was God saying that that's what we've got to remember God was saying that and he was saying that to specific instances and purposes it's true true today the word of God will accomplish that which God sent it for but just because I quote a verse at somebody it doesn't mean they're going to fall down on their knees and repent you know but it's God's word it's powerful it's sharper than any two-edged sword we throw out Hebrews chapter 4 don't we You know, it's sharper, it's more powerful than any two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit. We tell you, it's the incorruptible seed of God. that lives and abides forever. And again, all of that is absolutely true. Yes, it is. Yes, it does. Yes, it will. Absolutely true. But look at what Jesus does here. Please, this is what I want us to take into this year, you know. He says, it's God's word. Yes, verse 16. But then he says in verse 17, and if any man will do his will, notice, he shall know of the doctrines, whether it be of God or whether I speak it myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory, that, sorry, he that seeketh his glory that sent him. Sorry, I'm going to start that again. He that speaks of himself speaks of his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. He's talking about himself. Remember, the people were casting doubt upon his authority to say this is God's word. And at the end of that day... At the end of the day, that is what people are thinking when you say, but God said it, they are thinking it's just what you think. They are thinking it's just because you think it doesn't make it necessarily so. Jesus says this to this doubt, hey, find out for yourself. That's what he says to these people. To these unbelieving people, he says, find out for yourself. It is so very simple. You see, it's a challenge. What is he saying? If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether it be something that I speak myself. And I think we should challenge them. That's what I think. You trust in God's word. And you should be able to say to people, don't allow your conclusions concerning Christ to rest upon my words or any other person's words. Challenge them to apply the principles of Christ as they do to everything else in this life. Put it to the test, you know. Now, I know this sounds a little bit irreverent. I know it does. But Jesus essentially says, prove me wrong or prove me right, but just don't let somebody else make the decision for you. Don't let your life be influenced by the decisions and the paths of other people. What's the challenge? Do his will and he shall know of the doctrine, whether it is of God or not. So you and I as believers have to trust if God is wooing somebody by his spirit and you are ministering to them, they need to discover for themselves the reliability and the viability of Christ within their life. So challenge them, do his will, and they will know. I'm getting to a big word this morning. A big word, the most important word. It'll come in a minute. And note this, please note this. This is not what he's saying. It's not just think about the teachings of Christ, because they've already done that, haven't they? They've already made their mind up. It's not pray that whole, oh, there's a backdoor prayer that we so often throw at people and it's completely unbiblical. It's not pray that that, 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 that backdoor prayer that says, hey, well, you just ask God to, prove, to show himself to you. That's a backdoor prayer. You just ask God to prove to you that he does really exist. No, no, the Bible's very clear. God has already said that man is without excuse concerning the existence of God. Everybody knows God is there. They're choosing to reject that. They've already made their mind. That's a, again, that's a backdoor prayer. Now that, he's not saying that nor is Jesus saying challenge them to make a commitment to Christ so they will discover that he, that, that, that he is good or if he, if he disappoints them then there's something better for them he's not saying that either he's not saying that ever no what he's saying is you take what God is saying you apply those of principles to your life and you will find out that it's true you will find out that the only one that actually gets you is God. That's what it's saying, you know. Again, this is not saying give God a go. and If it doesn't work out for you, try something else. No, 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 no. This is challenging people's lives. If you really want to know God, then here it is. Obey him and you will discover the word is true. Jesus is not giving you a choice here. He's making an emphatic statement that is, that is bound up in an unchanging spiritual law. You know that? Yeah. Your knowledge of God, anybody's knowledge of God is proportionate to our desire to do the will of God. Spiritual light, understanding what God has to say is directly connected to, do you want the big word? The word that we need to walk in all, not only all the days of 2020, but all of our lives. Spiritual light, knowledge of God, understanding of the divine, walking in the truth, finding fulfilment. All of those things is completely and absolutely connected, connected to the O word. What is it? Obedience. Do what God says and you will find out that God is good. That's Jesus' answer here. I told you it was simple, you know. You see, you see if, it's, if it's up to me, and this is what a lot of the world is doing, if it's up to me to try and think that, or, or relate the reality of God to some experience and some enlightenment that I can find, and I'm sorry, I'm just too dumb. I'm too dumb. If I have to climb some esoteric ladder to reach some deeper meaning or some deeper knowledge of, of, of the divine, then I'm not going to get past the first, the first rung of that ladder. I'm not. That's why God in his wisdom simply says, if you will obey, you will grow. If you will obey, you will grow. Obey and you will know. Look at that, it rhymes. But the opposite is true as well. It's a challenge, isn't it? So the opposite is true as well. If I don't obey, I will not grow. In fact, Jesus taught this in his parables in in Mark chapter 4. He said, for he, this is verse 25, He said, for he that has, you've read this, haven't you? For he that has, to him shall be given. But he that does not have, from him it shall be taken, that which he has. It's simple. If you don't act upon the spiritual light that you have been given, then you're going to lose it. That's the divine principle. It's undeniable. And we see it all the time, don't we? I'm sure you've experienced in your own life, you know. So the challenge is clear. Jesus says, if you will do my word, you will know my word is of God. If you will live this life, you will know and it will be your decision. Tell them that. You know, it will be your decision, the most important thing. You know, isn't it great when you listen to somebody's testimony, you know, and they, and they talk about how they had their godless, this is a good thing by the way, and they talk about how they had their godless lives, you know, uh, and, because they knew. They knew this religion, they knew that this Christ, they knew that it was all rubbish. They knew that Christians, all the Christians out there were just a bunch of group, a group of psychosomatic, you know, clones that were living in some whimsical promised land. They knew it was all phony, they knew it was all fake, they knew it was all in their heads, they knew it. But what happened? They crossed over a threshold. They were obedient. And now they know god has said is true they know that his word is god breathed so it's a challenge right make the decision for yourself don't just listen to what everybody else is saying that's the challenge that's the unsaved but what about you and me because that spiritual law applies to us doesn't it absolutely it does you know in our walk with christ You know, I'm stopping here this morning because there are so many Christians that are simply barren in their understanding of how and why God wants us to live. And many of us are entering into 2020 with no idea. And it's always because Christians have made up their mind that they will only do the will of God if it's convenient for them. Or only do the will of God if it's going to fit with their plans. You see these believers everywhere. Not here of course. But you see them everywhere. Their minds are already made up. And their struggle with the Christian life. Is that it is an obstruction to their freedoms and to their liberties. So they simply reject what the scripture says about this part of the Christian life, uh, you know, I'll have this, I'll have that. I don't want that. I don't like that. I'll have this, I'll have that. But as we heard from Christ, that's the very, very reason why they can't see and why they don't understand. They've already decided. They've already made up their mind. Consequently, their lives are given to things which don't profit their lives. Christians just don't get it. Are there Christians in your life who profess the name of Christ and they just don't get it? They don't understand why you talk about holiness. They don't understand why you don't want certain things in your life. They don't understand at all. They just don't get it. Why? Because they've already made their minds up. Can can I say it again? It's all because they've made their minds up? You know? It is a choice. You're right, Vanessa. You know? Because what the Bible says doesn't serve their purpose what the Bible says doesn't fit in with their dreams but it's a decision that it's, that, it's that very decision that has blinded them to the absolute wonder of the Christian life and that statement that we say all the time, the best is yet to come and no, one ever, no one can ever see it because they've decided they're going to settle for the worst oh Can I read you a quote from Oswald Chambers? This, this is why so many are not awake to righteousness. This is not the quote. But this is why so many are not awake to righteousness. Um, he, he said this. He said, the golden rule for understanding spirituality spiritually... Uh, sp- oh, excuse me, let me start again. He said, the golden rule for understanding spiritually is not intellect but it's obedience if a man wants scientific knowledge then intellectual curiosity will be his guide but if he wants insight into what Jesus Christ teaches he can only get it by obedience he can only get it by obedience Look, let me read to you from Peter this is 2 Peter chapter 1 and we know these verses and I'll close with this he says, according as his divine power, this is 2 Peter 1, 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We love to quote this, don't we? Yes. His divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? How does it come? Through the knowledge of him that has called us unto glory and virtue, whereby we are given given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is of the world through lust. So having escaped that lust-driven life, is what he's talking about, you know. And it comes through knowledge that has been revealed to us, right? And he says this, And besides this, we give all diligence... You add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. What in? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, here's the question, believer. As we enter into a brand new year, have you pre-committed? Is that a word? I don't know. Have you pre-committed yourself to do his will? You know what? Your spiritual growth hinges on that. If you've not decided, I'm going to do what God says regardless, I'm going to do it because he says it. I'm going to do it because it's his word. I'm going to do it because he exalts his word above his very name. I'm going to do it because it's the only thing that's going to last forever. And I want to attach my journey to things that are eternal. I'm going to do it because that's what God told me to do. That's where spiritual growth begins. It's a preconceived decision. Again, Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says, None of these things shall move me nor do I count my life dear unto myself. It doesn't matter what my plans, it doesn't matter what my passions, it doesn't matter what my goals are. It only matters is the course that God has set for me. And the only place I'm going to find the course that God has set for me is right here. In what He said. I've got to make the decision. So I want to ask you right now, at the beginning of a brand new year, have you pre-committed to do His will? You know? You can gain wonderful knowledge from the scriptures. Yes, you can. But until you are willing to obey what God is saying to you, you will miss the understanding of it. You can have knowledge, but you'll have no understanding. Knowledge is here. Understanding is here. Do you see it? Do you see it? Gospel, spiritual discernment at the bottom line is this people don't want to hear that's the bottom line you know and to those people god is withholding true riches true riches why because he can't trust them to hear it if they're not willing to do it what jesus taught so can i ask you one simple question and i've said this is the end this morning will you decide today that you will this is my last rhyme too will you decide today that you will decide to obey if you do if you do see one of my statements I've said this year in and year out I said I have finished didn't I but let me finish with this this is what i said year in and year out what stands before you right now what's the date today is the 5th of January 2020 version of Chris. You know what? In 12 months' time, I do not want a 5th of January 2020 version of Chris standing in front of you. In 12 months' time, if the Lord tarries and I'm still here, I want a 2021 version of Chris. And that's only going to come if I am willing to hear, yes, and then obey. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Are you ready to get down to the beach? If, if you can make it for one o'clock, because um, this is what this is what this is what Nathan is doing. You know what he's choosing? He's choosing obedience, because God has commanded us to be baptized. What's baptism? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. He's heard, he knows, and now he's going to obey. He's only going to obey before God in heaven, he's going to obey before mankind. So we're not going to go to an indoor heated swimming pool, we're going to go out to the beach where everybody gathers on a beautiful hot day, and they're going to see someone say, my life is about Jesus Christ, I'm going to follow him all the rest of my days, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to obey. That's what baptism is. Amen? Amen. Let's worship Him one more time, and before we make our way down there. Thank you.
2: Would you stand, guys?
3: i e we hey.
2: To uh, just to, to rest in our God and know how faithful He is. I um cannot count how many times that I've worried and stressed over nothing because God has it in hand. Hey, Amen. Hey, um, we're going to go down the beach. So one, one o'clock, one o'clock. It's eleven thirty now. It gives us a bit of time to go and get some bows on, doesn't it? Why don't we get down there and have a bit of a swim and and watch Nathan get baptized and. And, and rejoice and yeah, just be a bit of family down there. What do you reckon? Good idea? Amen. Dear Lord, Father, we thank you for this opportunity and uh, to come and worship you and, and to lift up your name and uh, to hear from your word. And Thank you for the challenge, Father, to, to, to put you first in our lives, Lord. To, um, Father, to, to, to live the life you call us to live. Um. To be a witness to this world and exactly what we're going to do today, Father. So, Father God, thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for um, grabbing us out of that muck. And I pray we live holy lives before you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, Jim wants to say something. Oh, we know.
1: Word tells us to praise our governments and the world hates him because Christ is in him and I don't know about you but he never loses his cool, he's always constrained, Uh, he might be angry about things but he just says it firmly, he doesn't show, so can we lift him before the Lord because I just really feel 2020 uh, the hateful world is just going to come against him, that's how I sense in my spirit. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, our our land has forsaken you. But dear God, you have people that love you and know you and who you've called. So Father, we come before your throne right now for our crown minister. Father, we know you've raised him up for this hour, for this purpose. And Father, we know that he has an enemy. But Father, you're our God. You're his God and his strength. And Father, I pray that you... As I always pray, that you would bring him to his knees every morning as he wakes, Father, to seek your wisdom, to seek your strength, to seek your purpose, Father. I just thank you now. We come against, I declare your word over him, that no weapon formed against him shall prosper, that his inheritance is in you, Father. And I just thank you now that, Lord, you will show yourself strong on his behalf. Lord, he wouldn't rely on himself or his cabinet, but he would rely on you and your word. So, Father, I just thank you that you've placed him there. And, dear God, I thank you that we will see your hand upon him. In Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Go to the fellowship.